Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Well, a good Tuesday to you. And that's probably the last time you're going to hear the word good today because we have no good martinis. They're all bad today. And they're all pretty darn bad, I have to say. Uh, Starting with uh, this news out of a critical U.S. Senate race in Missouri. It shouldn't be a nail-biter in Missouri. This is a state that has trended more and more red over the past several cycles. I mean, back in the 80s or even the 90s, Missouri was considered a swing state. Even in 2008, McCain barely won it in obviously a very good year for Democrats with Barack Obama. But since then, Missouri is not even really that competitive uh, in most statewide federal races, um, especially at the presidential level. But Roy Blunt uh, is retiring. It's an open seat. And a number of high-profile Republicans are going for this seat, including two members of the U.S. House of Representatives, the sitting attorney general. We'll talk about them a little bit in a moment. But the former governor, Eric Greitens, who, of course, resigned a couple of years ago uh, due to allegations on a number of fronts. One was campaign finance related, but the one that got all the attention, of course, was the affair that he had with his hairdresser, and then she, he had her dress up in what looked like some sort of bondage situation. She alleged that he blackmailed her with the threat to release the photos. He, he denies that, but nonetheless, he resigned. And now he's going, surprise, surprise, through a nasty divorce uh, from his wife, and now she has filed uh, allegations under oath that were revealed in court on Monday. Uh, Sheena Greitens is her name, and there's an ongoing child custody dispute between these two. Uh, She sought a divorce after the sex scandal that I mentioned a moment ago. So in the affidavit, Sheena Greitens casts her ex-husband as someone who threatened to use his political connections and influence to destroy her reputation to win custody of the children. She also says, quote, prior to our divorce during an argument in late April 2018, Eric knocked me down and confiscated my cell phone, wallet and keys so that I was unable to call for help or extricate myself and our children from our home. I became afraid for my safety and that of our children at our home. And so she also claims that he cuffed their then three-year-old son across the face at the dinner table in front of her uh, and and pulled him by his hair. And so, Jim, uh, this is ugliness on a number of uh, levels. It's certainly ugliness that should make the Republican Party want to move in a very different direction for their nominee uh, in this key Senate race. Dear listeners, if you woke up this morning, March 22nd, 2022, and you said, is today the day that Greg Corumbus is going to use the words bondage situation on the Three Martini Lunch podcast? (laughs) Then yes, that is the day you're going to use it. And I have a simple ask, dear voters of Missouri, don't nominate this guy. Don't put us in a situation where we have to discuss all of these topics, you know, whoever the Democratic opponent is going to do is going to, you know, just carpet bomb him on this. All I want out of the Missouri Senate Republican Senate primary is a warm body not named Eric Greetens. It really doesn't seem like too much to ask. And like, oh, it's a red state. It looks like it's going to be a good Republican year. I have two words for you, Todd Aiken. Uh, yes, Claire McCaskill was a an incumbent, and probably the year wasn't as quite as good for that. But you want to talk about just leaving winnable seats on the field uh, and not competing and just shooting yourself in the foot. Um, 
one of my colleagues had the observation that a lot of these these Senate primaries and, and key primaries for the Republicans this year, it's very easy to find people to root against. It's a little bit tougher to find candidates you want to root for. But nominating Eric Greitens after everything that's there, all of like it's you know, it's vivid, it's ugly. That some of these anecdotes make you wonder about his mental stability and that the fear that he could bad enough that he's harming his child allegedly. And all of this other stuff, the idea that he's harming himself. He seems like a guy who has all kinds of problems and has all kinds of needs to deal with those problems. And he doesn't belong in the U.S. Senate. And it's just, you know, just shocking and horrifying. And there's just got to be, you know, better options. Um, dear Missouri Republicans, please be wise. Maybe this poll's an outlier or people forgot or something. But uh, I got to tell you, by general, if, you, if the Republicans nominate this guy, Missouri voters will not forget this. And I think it's extremely unlikely Republicans will win in what is otherwise a pretty darn red state. Yeah, so many things come to mind here. I remember the 2004 Illinois Senate race. I know that's 18 years ago now, which seems like ancient history to some. But that was supposed to be a very competitive Senate race. Republicans nominated a guy named Jack Ryan, not the Tom Clancy figure, but uh, still had a, had a very impressive background on paper. And he had been married to Jerry Ryan, who was an actress and was on one of the Star Trek series. And um, their divorce papers got unsealed and there was some ugly stuff in there. And he got to the point where he had to drop out of the race. And Barack Obama essentially won in a walk because the Republicans in Illinois were then scrambling for a, uh, a different candidate. They were courting Mike Ditka at one point, And they ended up mm. with Alan Keyes, who didn't even live in Illinois. It was a total fiasco. And Barack Obama's uh, cakewalk victory obviously paved the way. Uh, to him running for president uh, a short time later. If that had been a really uh, nip and tuck race, uh, who knows how political history would have changed. But here's uh, indisputable, I don't know if the facts is the way you want, but let's call it evidence. Trafalgar Group, we like them, Jim. They've been very, very accurate in polling in the last couple of election cycles, right? Okay, well, uh, they have polled the two most likely Democratic nominees against the three most likely Republican nominees. The Republican nominees being potentially Greitens, uh, Eric Schmidt, the current attorney general in Missouri, and Vicki Hartzler, who's a congressman. Okay, now against a Democrat named Lucas Kuntz, it's Hartzler by 18, Schmidt by 15, Greitens by 1. And that's before this stuff came out. Against uh, State Senator Scott Sifton, it's Hartzler by 20, Schmidt by 15, and Greitens is dead even. Again, before this information came out. Uh, Missouri Republicans, the evidence could not be clearer. This is about as close as you're going to get to just giving the Democrats a Senate seat, it appears. I just want to observe, if you feel like, uh, oh, what's the consequence of this decision? Look, you can make an argument that what we're seeing here between Russia and Ukraine and the enormous loss of life and the horrifying bloodshed and, and devastation, a lot of it, not entirely, but a big chunk of it probably stems back to the muted response of NATO and the U.S. after Russia annexed Ukraine, which was set by former President Barack Obama. Former President Barack Obama became president in part because of his quick rise through power and the fact that he ended up in the Senate because of uh, a, a you know really uncontested race out there in Illinois back in 2008. Why did that happen? Well, Jack Ryan wasn't the nominee. Why was Jack Ryan not the nominee? Because the divorce records were unsealed by Chicago newspapers that had never had much interest in it before and have never had much interest in it since. But it had those, you know, somewhat unsavory allegations regarding Jerry Ryan. Why didn't anybody know about Jerry Ryan? Because the ratings for Star Trek Voyager were really bad for the first two years, and they felt the need to add a character with more sex appeal. In a very strange way, Greg, what we are seeing in Russia is entirely the fault of bad ratings for Voyager those first two years. <laughs> 
that's how the dominoes can fall sometimes in this world. Oh, man, I was going to blame it on David Axelrod because I'm pretty sure they did the same yeah, trick on the yeah. divorce records. Really suspicious that the former Chicago Tribune reporter managed to get the Chicago Tribune to be, you know, hell-bent for leather on unveiling those divorce records. But that's Literally. another story for another day. <laughs> Literally, yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, Missouri voters, I mean... And Vicki Hartzler and Eric Schmidt are good people. I mean, they're good candidates. This isn't just about winning a race, too. I mean, there's there's some serious issues, I think, with Eric Reitens. And so let's, let's not uh, create trouble where we don't have to. All right. Meanwhile, when it comes to thinning hair, uh, good news. You no longer have to choose between natural remedies and those that actually work. There's a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness without drugs or prescriptions. And it's called Nutrafol. Did you know that there are five root causes for thinning hair? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors that may be impacting your hair. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. 21 potent natural ingredients support better sleep and less stress too. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. And Nutrafol is also trusted and recommended by more than 1,500 top doctors. You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the three martini lunch by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code martini to save $15 off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code martini. Nutrafol.com, promo code martini. All right, Jim, on to the latest edition of the greatest hits at the podium from Kamala Harris. A few days ago, back when she was in Eastern Europe, she wasn't quite sure what flank she was on. And then, of course, there was her famous uh, COVID-related interview where the things we need to be doing are the things we have been doing, and that time is right now. Yesterday, it's all about the passage of time. And here's how she said it. The governor and I, and we were all... Um, doing a tour of the library here and um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time in terms of what we need to do to lay these wires, what we need to do to create these jobs. And there is such great significance to the passage of time when we think about a day in the life of our children. Jim, I'm a little confused here, but I think she sees some significance in the passage of time. Greg, why is it that whatever audience Kamala Harris is in front of, whether it's this audience discussing tech issues, whether it's the Munich Security Conference, whether it's the campaign trail, uh, events for Build Back Better, you know, any one of those issues, it always sounds like she's speaking to a kindergarten class. <laughs> And it's the slow ones, the slow kids who, who are a little who, who don't pick up on stuff as easily. So she's got to go even a little slower uh, as she explained these things in the most generic ways possible. Um, so, yeah. But, oh, by the way, there was another, you know, a little bit of more turnover in Kamala Harris's staff. Uh, Nancy McEldowney, I believe, is the name. And she was the national security advisor for Harris. McDow McEldowney, she was the 
deputy chief of mission back when I over the U.S. Embassy back when I was over in Turkey. So I, I wouldn't say that I know her or anything. I think we met once or twice at a party or something. Seemed competent enough. Um, and so apparently she's leaving for personal reasons. So maybe this isn't another case of somebody getting very frustrated working for Kamala Harris. But it does occur across this other massive churn in her personal staff over at the vice president's office. I was talking with a friend of mine the other night, and this friend was more sympathetic to the Biden administration than I was, not the highest bar to clear. But it was interesting that the one area in which he was just kind of baffled is he kind of, he, and he put it very well. He's like, Kamala Harris has wanted to be president for a long time. She's known since she ended up in the Senate back in 2016 that like, you want to be president of the United States. And, you know, she's going to be, she was selected as, as Veep uh, or as, as Biden's running mate in the middle of summer of, 20, of uh, 2020. So we're coming up on like two years of her being in this situation. You're, you're in three quarters, right? This is the big show. This is the big time. This is the time to bring your A game. You can't bluff your way through this. You can't BS your way through this. You have to know your stuff and you need to be able to demonstrate that you know your stuff. And my friend just kind of assessed that like, man, she just hasn't done it. And it's not just like, you know, oh, she has one or two bad days and, you know, Dan Quayle at the blackboard, misspelling potato or something like that. But she just in every, though, know, the, the, the common phrase, the most common comparison is she looks like she's been asked to give a book report on her book she hasn't read. And it just happens over and over again. And so the complaint um, from one of those big Politico or Washington Post or these other DC publications were doing this is that she doesn't read her briefing stuff and then blames the staff when she goes out and sounds like an idiot. Uh, you know, th this ha happens often. That fits what we see. She does seem to go out regularly and offer this Hallmark card uh, Zen philosophy. The time is now and now is the time. And, you know, I believe the children are the future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. You know, the, all of this like generic pablum that seems like she doesn't know what she's talking about. And look, she was whatever else you want to say. She was an accomplished prosecutor for a life. She must know things. She can't be as stupid as she seems, but she really comes across as if she doesn't know anything. And it's kind of jaw-dropping. It's not the least bit surprising that she goes off. But by the way, she delivers the speeches just fine. Usually it's when she has to, you know, do a Q&A or answer questions or something, like speak off the top. That's when I think all of us recognize that deer in the headlights look and that blank and when you just can't think of anything and you're you're frozen, right? You know, so it's just, just baffling that here we are, you know, a considerable amount into Biden's second year, and we're still seeing this phenomenon from her. And if got, you know, she's supposed to, you know, she's a heartbeat away from the presidency. The president's 79 years old. He's had brain aneurysms in the past. You know, God forbid, I hope I hope Biden lives to be 100. But uh, there's always a chance you'll have to take over at a moment's notice. And we're, we're in a major national security crisis right now. And so, like, you know, Vice President Harris, step up your game. You can't afford this anymore. The country can't afford this anymore. But um, I won't get my hopes up too much. Ben. <laughs> well, it leads to an interesting question. I mean, I think it's an open question at this point whether Biden even seeks a second term, not only because uh, he's so unpopular, but just due to his age and, and some of the questions about where he is physically and mentally at this point. But let's say he does. Do you keep Harris on the ticket when she's in many polls even more unpopular than you? Uh, or if Biden doesn't run, do you open the floodgates, even though she would, you know, theoretically be the natural successor to him as the top of the ticket? Because you've already got people trying to set up the Kamala versus Buttigieg uh, mm. primary, which is not exactly uh, inspiring confidence either, because then you have, you know, somebody, you know, spilling out this drivel and, and the guy who wants everybody to buy a Tesla and it's completely out of touch on a number of fronts. And so uh, the bench is not deep. But what do you do with Kamala? She's supposed to be this trailblazing figure and she's stumbling all over the place here. 
Greg, we, we discussed that on the other great podcast that I'm a part of on the editors a few weeks ago. My colleagues seemed convinced there was a way they could get Harris off the ticket. And, and I, or if Biden chose not to run, to not, renom- to not nominate Harris. But I just, I can't imagine that. I just think there'd be such a backlash. There'd be so many African-Americans who see it a betrayal, so many women who'd see it as a betrayal. I just don't see how you substitute in Buttigieg or, or anybody else. And by, oh, by the way, even if, you know, God forbid something happened to both of them and President Pelosi serves out <laughs> the remainder of Biden's term or something like that, uh, there's not an enormous Democratic bench uh, of folks who you look to and say, ah, that's the person who could absolutely step into the White House and, and step into the Oval Office and be ready at a moment's notice. It's really kind of fascinating how much uh, a combination of factors. I, I think the um, Republican waves of 2010 and 2014 knocked out a lot of rising star House members, senators, governors, folks like that, who would ordinarily be presidential timber. Um, coupled with the fact that also they had like 20 some candidates in 2020 and none of them, you know, the vast majority of them just turned into background noise. Like I dare listeners remember one thing Julian Castro said as presidential <laughs> candidate. Maybe you remember the debate moment where he kind of insinuated that Biden was going senile. And then it's like he disappeared. You don't even see him on the side of a milk carton anymore. Um, Beto, right? I mean, like it, none of these guys have, have you know risen to this. So um, Bernie Sanders, you know, <laughs> it's it's really kind of stunning that the cupboard is so bare for Democrats at a time when they think they were you know about to inaugurate this you know wonderful era of progressive rule for a generation. Eighty-three will be the new fifty-three in twenty twenty-four. <laughs> Now, he's actually as I get older, that sounds better, Greg. But all in all, no, I don't. (laughs) No, I've heard Bernie's actually trying to uh, uh, get Ro Khanna, the congressman from uh, California, to be his kind of successor in that wing of the party. But as as we all know, uh, sitting House members have a fabulous track record of getting elected president. In fact, uh, pretty sure James A. Garfield's the last one to pull it off. So (laughs) history's not on their side on that one. Greg, not the most memorable president of all time, but one hell of a comic strip. A heck of a comic strip. Here's my favorite factoid about James Garfield. Ready? He could write in different languages with both hands at the same time. Okay. All right. That's pretty cool. You got to give him credit. <laughs> that would you know. If Biden went out and did that tomorrow, I think other was like, okay, he's much better, much you know, more competent than I thought, or he's possessed. Yes. Yes. Anyway, yeah, poor James Garfield. I think he might have actually been a good president had he had a chance, but he was he was shot, of course. All right. Anyway, uh, Jim, well, while the Democrats try to figure out what they're going to do this year and in two years from now, uh, they might want a good night's sleep while they try to figure out what to do about uh, the future of Kamala Harris. And for that, you want good pillows and good mattress topper. But you also want really good towels because uh, having a good shower in the morning helps uh, wake you up and you want to get dried off and on your way. And the uh, MyPillow towels are fabulous. They're they're big and they're soft and they dry you off really, really quickly. And right now you can get a phenomenal deal. Towels that are regularly $109.99 are now just $39.99 a set. The MyPillow six-piece towel set is made from cotton that's grown right here in the United States. Now, some other towels might feel good, but they don't absorb very well. Or maybe they absorb well, but they don't feel good. Every MyPillow towel is made with proprietary technology that makes them highly absorbent and soft to the touch. There's none of that lotion-y feel. Every set comes with two bath towels, two hand towels, and two washcloths. These sets are available in a variety of colors and sizes. They're machine washable, and these towel sets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee 
and a one-year limited warranty. For a limited time, get the MyPillow six-piece towel set, regularly $109.99 for only $39.99 with the promo code MARTINI. Visit MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. You'll also find deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, the MyPillow Giza Dream Sheets, and so much more. Get your six-piece MyPillow towel set for only $39.99 today at MyPillow.com slash martini or call 800-874-0104. MyPillow.com slash martini. All right, Jim, on to our third bad martini. And this could be crazy as well, but it's it's bad given how much we were told to believe these people at their word without any scrutiny for almost two years. And it's the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, uh, drastically revising their numbers uh, on COVID deaths. And the good news is they're revising them in the right direction. And the reason they're doing it is the crazy or the bad part. And that's because their system was messed up for a long time. The health agency, in a statement to Reuters, said it made adjustments to its COVID data trackers mortality data on March 14th because its algorithm was accidentally counting deaths that were not COVID-19 related. The adjustment resulted in removal of 72,277 deaths previously reported across 26 states, including 416 pediatric deaths. That reduction cut the CDC's estimate of deaths in children by 24% to 1,341 as of March 18th. Children accounted for about 19% of all COVID-19 cases, but less than 0.26% of cases resulting in death. So, uh, Jim, they've been flip-flopping all over the map on masks and mandates and schools open and schools closed. And now uh, we're getting some pretty drastic revisions thankfully in the right direction, uh, about COVID deaths. But it makes you wonder uh, what they actually knew all along. And I also wonder uh, how many are still being counted as COVID deaths from people who died with COVID as opposed to from COVID. You know, Greg, I suppose you could say, oh, well, that's great. You know, we, we have a whole bunch of people who didn't die. Well, actually, they did die. They just didn't die of COVID. And uh, maybe that makes the U.S. response to COVID look a little bit better, but it's still a 7.5% change. Um, now, here's the problem. I can understand, particularly in the early months of the pandemic, everybody's responding very quickly. Um, everybody's, you know, trying to deal with an unprecedented situation. The entire CDC is staff of human beings. Human beings are going to make mistakes. Okay, fine. It's March 2022. You know, we are we are now well, you know, two years and change into this pandemic. The idea that you're just noticing it now is really not reassuring. And there's been this contention that you, you alluded to that, uh, look, COVID-19 is serious. It is most serious to the elderly and the immunocompromised. And a lot of things in life are more dangerous to the elderly and the immunocompromised. So for a lot of people who were, you know, sometimes including some of those folks who are in retirement homes, you know, if they have comorbidities, right, if they had heart disease, if they had high blood pressure, if they had diabetes, if they had uh, other factors, then there's a question like, okay, well, did the pneumonia kill them? Did the COVID-19 kill them? Um, you know, COVID Colin Powell had blood cancer, right? And so, you know, did, was that the cause of his death or was it, or did the COVID-19 exacerbate this other condition or did this other condition exist? I'll understand there are certain deaths where maybe it's a little bit tough to change, but we, you know, we put a lot of faith in the CDC and a lot of our policies of how we live our lives are shaped by what the CDC is, is seeing and by its measurement of the pandemic. Are things getting better? Are things getting worse? To come back two years later and say, oh, hey, wait, we, we, we miscounted this. It's not quite as bad as it seems. 
Um, really disappointing, really frustrating. And, you know, for, for I, I suppose we should be glad they're coming ahead with coming forward with this. Um, but it just feels, you know, not just a day late and a dollar short, way too late. Um, faith in public health experts has, has steadily eroded throughout this pandemic. And when you see things like this, it's very tough to begrudge people for not trusting official government statistics and to know what's, doing, what's going on, to understand the pandemic, to understand what we have to do. We need clear data. And it's just mind bogglingly frustrating. The CDC couldn't get this right. What do you have to do to lose your job? <laughs> I mean, honestly, there's just the, the inconsistency, the back and forth on the messaging, uh, you know, these numbers all over the place. I mean, there's nothing about the CDC throughout this ordeal that I think uh, puts them in, in much good light. So, I mean, <laughs> there's, if there's ever a. An arena well, of Greg, a government. It's, it's a government agency. <laughs> yes. As we all know, it's very tough to get fired from a government agency. There's another dad at the work at this bus stop who works for somewhere for the federal government. And he re- learned that I'd written the weed agency. So he actually went out and got a copy. It's available at Amazon and fine remainder bins everywhere across the country. And uh, he said he enjoyed it until it got too real and he had to put it down. It reminded him too much of what drives him crazy about working in the federal bureaucracy. And I guess replacing people who screw up still remains as hard as it is 2022 as it was in 2014 when I wrote the book. Wow. Wow, on a number of fronts. That was eight years ago. But it's a phenomenal book, and it's timeless. So go get The Weed Agency. It's uh, fabulously creative and weaves in very real things with a, with a great story. So um, it might be my all-time favorite Jim Garrity book, but the uh, – Dangerous click novels are fantastic as well. So uh, definitely get those as well. Uh, And after that unplanned promo, Jim, have a great day. I'll see you again tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already. Uh, Thank you very much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday, and please join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch. Former NFL player and Arkansas Senate candidate Jake Beckett joins me to explain why he believes defeating do-nothing rhinos is just as important as beating the Democrats in this year's midterm elections. On the latest Sarah Carter Show, Beckett also discusses the hypocrisy of Democrats on immigration policy. Follow the Sarah Carter Show wherever you get your podcasts.